So as stated, we're, uh, we're in our, our, our final section of 1 Thessalonians, and, and uh, I think it's a pretty interesting study so far. And uh, if you're, you're not there already, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're in that very last section, starting in verse 12 to the end. And, um, and, and if, if you're, like I said, it is really interesting to know that we're already kind of towards the end of this time here. And uh, what we've seen here is, is Paul is addressing, as we've seen in this study already, Paul's been addressing this young church in Thessalonica. And he's been trying to encourage them because they were actually discouraged because they expected the Lord's return to happen already. So not only were they discouraged because they were still waiting, but we also saw that they were concerned because loved ones had already passed. And they were still concerned that uh, what's happening to them. So we've seen Paul's encouragement throughout this entire letter that helps us to see what, uh, what we really need to be doing. And as a matter of fact, Pastor Pat helped us last week to see that a little bit more clearly. He, he, he said that the real question is not when is Jesus returning, but rather what do we need to do while we wait for him to return, right? That was kind of what we saw last week. And, um, and what I'm going to do today, because this passage really does carry that idea and carries that thought through, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to do things a little bit out of order this morning, and I'm going to give you the, the main idea right away, so that way we can kind of just build on that concept a little bit, okay? So our main idea today is this, living for the Lord today is preparing us for living with the Lord tomorrow, right? And tomorrow is just kind of the future when when Jesus returns and brings. So living for the Lord today prepares us for living with the Lord tomorrow. So, and uh, J. Vernon McGee is one of my favorite teachers. He's got that real southern swing to him if you haven't heard him before. But uh, he says this about uh, about this, this section. He says that we need to watch our step as we look up for the coming of Christ. Right? I like the way he put that, right? So his, the idea there is, is fairly simple. He, he's really just telling us we have to watch our conduct on earth while we're waiting for the return of Jesus, right? So we need to watch our conduct here as we wait for the return of Jesus. And, um, and, and we're watching for that return. And the caution that I would say, as we've seen to, uh, already as well, is not to be fanatical about this, this watching and looking for all these signs, because as we learned over the past couple of weeks, that's really not the intention. Um, what he's doing is helping us to understand this is how we live while we wait. And maybe, maybe some of you are like me, and I, I learned a lot from my parents, and I learned a lot from my dad. And a couple things came to mind this week. Um, he, he taught me how to, to play basketball, and he taught me how to golf. Now, if you've ever seen me play basketball or golf, my dad will not take credit for that. I'll tell you that right now. And part of the reason for that is because I, I, I understand things, but when I put it into practice, sometimes it just doesn't translate. Anybody like that? Just, just, just me? Okay, fine. Right? So he taught me how to shoot a basketball. He says, I got to shoot high, but what do I do? I shoot from the hip. And then what happens I shoot from the hip, and, and, and the ball's stripped out of my hands because I'm not given enough height. I've got to shoot over people, right? Or if I'm golfing, he says, you've got you to gotta use your hips, keep your head down. What do I do is I put my head up, and I use my legs instead of my hips, and what happens? The ball either goes nowhere or goes way to the left or way to the right, 
right? So I can understand it. I know exactly what needs to be done, but I don't do it, right? And we see that here with the Thessalonians, don't we? We see that a little bit with them. They know Jesus is returning, but they also recognize that, you know, but we also see that they're just not doing it. They're just not, they're not grasping it, right? So they're understanding it in concept, but they're really not practicing it. And, 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 and again, frankly, they're just not acting like that. So we'll see as, as Paul wraps up this letter. We're gonna, and and I, when I first read it, maybe, maybe, maybe you don't see it this way, but I almost felt like he was just throwing stuff on a paper, right? Like he was like running out of time. It was almost closing time. It was like 5.55, so he started jotting stuff down, right? And, and it, you know, once I, I've looked at it closer, what I, what I determined was he's almost kind of given us a summary of what we've seen already, but just in a different manner. Um, so he's really summarizing a lot of what we've already seen. So what I want to do is just follow along with me. The, 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 the passages will be on the screen behind me online as well, um, and obviously follow along in your Bibles. We'll pick up on, uh, on verse 12, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. But test everything, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then this should sound very familiar to us. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I think that deserves an amen after that. So the first thing I want to do is uh, verse 26 is something that is not recommended by the CDC. All right, so we're, we're, I'm going to skip that verse. We're not going to talk about it because it's not recommended by the CDC. All right, so we're not doing any holy kissing over here, guys. But in all seriousness, what Paul's doing here in this letter, and he concludes it, he gives them these final instructions. And that's really common. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, you'll see this very often in all of them. And, and what I want to do is, again, remind you that this section and this book is written to the church. Now, obviously, the specific church is Thessalonica, but really, when you look at the principles, we can see that this is written to the church at large. And I think we can say that confidently because it's, in, it's consistent with the rest of the scriptures and it's consistent with the, with the gospel, right? So we, we can say that confidently that is written. Principles are written for us today as well. So the first thing I want to do is provide just a little bit of a background. I'm going to kind of do it outline style, and I'll do it fairly briefly because I want to get into the main idea here in the main text. Um, but what we're going to do is uh, I, I think this is broken up in several sections. So the first section we see is in verses 12 and 13 where he talks about Paul calling for the church to respect those who are leading them. 
right? To respect the leaders of the church, to respect those that were appointed and called to lead. And then he calls for the church to treat one another with respect. And we'll get to this point here in just a few minutes. And then Paul calls for Christian living in verses 16 to 18. In 19 and 22, he kind of gives them examples, I would say, of what this kind of looks like in practice. And then he reminds the church that this is God's work. This is God's doing. And then finally, he gives us his final greeting in those last few verses. What I really want to do is I want to focus in on verses 16 to 24. Okay, so I want to focus in on those areas there. Um, But I do want to touch on the first couple verses very briefly. So uh, first thing, just notice how Paul says this is how the church is supposed to treat one another. That's really the essence of those first couple of verses in this section. He says we need to, to treat others in a respectful and loving way. And, and essentially what he's saying is this is indicative of how Christ-like we really are and how we treat our leaders in a, in a, you know, from, a, from, a, from a godly perspective and how we treat one another. That's indicative of Christ-likeness that we're, we're striving for. And, and I can't help but think about 1 John 3.18 when he said these words and it says uh, john writes this little children let not us love in word or talk but in deed and in truth right it's not just about what we say but it's about what we do so notice too he's addressing two people in that first section there he says that we are to respect those who oversee the those who labor and oversee so obviously he's talking about the elders and the shepherds of the church and he reminds them that those who are called should be respected and loved because they've been entrusted with the duty to share the word of God, right? And we'll see that a little bit more as we get into the, the rest of the section, particularly in verse 20. And then he says that we should, be, we should admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all, Right? So notice that Paul's talking again to the church, so we can really deduct that he's talking about those less mature Christians, right? Those who still need a little bit more of maturing to do. And uh, what I love about this, this specific verse is he talks about this balance, right? There's admonishment, there's encouragement, there's patience, and there's help, right? There's a nice balance there, and this is again what he's telling us. And what we can learn from this, this verse is that a mature church has all of these qualities. So next week we see that Paul just says, don't, don't repay evil for evil. And as soon as I saw that verse, I, I, remi- I was reminded of Romans chapter 12. So uh, I'm not going to go into all the verses there because there's a lot there, but I do recommend that you read that this week if you have some time. Romans chapter 12, um, it talks a little bit about this in practice as well. So with this premise in mind from Paul, what I want to do now is I want to talk through the, uh, the immediate context. Uh, we looked at the immediate context. I want to look at um, that main section that we talked about a moment ago. And um, as we do that, I'm breaking that section into three parts. The first part is really, I see, is found in verses 16 to 18. The next section is in 19 to 21. The next one is 23 and 24. And what we see immediately is, is in verses 16 to 18 is Paul is giving us three commands, right? We see rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know about you, but at, at first, these three commands seem impossible, right? Is that a fair word? I think, you know, especially if, if you're dealing with something in your life, right? If you're dealing with with 
battling cancer, if you're dealing with a sick relative or loved one, if you're dealing with chronic illness, whether it be you or a loved one, right? If you're, you're dealing with a stressful job, if you're, you're dealing with financial struggles, these are difficult to think about and to put into practice, right? How do you rejoice always in those, sec- in those, those areas of your life if you're struggling? These are very hard commands, but recall that Paul has is, is used this entire letter so far to encourage. So with these, while these commands may seem impossible or discouraging in a sense, um, it's really helping us to understand a, a, a kind of a larger uh, principle of Scripture. And that's really kind of how you're dealing with things within your heart, right? That heart attitude and that heart um, direction there, right? So as a believer, our heart dictates essentially because it's, it's been surrendered to Christ— how we respond to difficult things that come about in our life. I thought about Nic- uh, chapter 3 of, of, of the Gospel of John, where Jesus is telling Nicodemus what? You need to be born again, right? Born again is really a change of heart. And, and this has to say that that old life, which is a slave to sin, is no longer sufficient, and it never has been. So one must be born again. Therefore, a heart transplant needs to occur, Right? And, um, and, and, and that needs to occur in order to live under Christ and not under sin. I was also reminded back in 2012 when I was managing at a resort, I had another manager pull me aside one day and said, hey, dude, you got some work to do, you know. And uh, he had told me and, and, and gave me some examples of some faults that I had as a leader and some areas that I needed some significant opportunity in. And, uh, of course, that's not easy to hear, but I, I, I respect this brother for, for telling me this and sharing that with me because I didn't see it myself. So what ended up happening is I had to make a complete change in how I led and how I managed in order to be a better leader and a better manager. And um, that resulted in, in the end of the year getting the coveted Manager of the Quarter Award, right, because I was able to lead um, with a changed heart and a changed direction and changed attitude. And that's really kind of an illustration of what we see here. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. You must change. You must be changed, right? And the gospel is what changes us. And this attitude must be changed. And these are evidences of of our faith. These are evidences of our faith. So Paul contends here that we must have an attitude of prayer, right? That idea of praying without ceasing. It's an attitude of prayer. And we talked about this a little bit on Monday, this really is to say that we have consistently have our eyes towards the Lord and all that we do, right? And, and we see him, we seek him in all these things. Um, just as Pam said in the opening to, to more, right? More room. And, and I think it's, it's significant that we understand that. So we look to him when we're facing really all things, right? And we're consistently speaking with him and communicating with him and communing with him during these situations in our lives where we might need to make a decision and we need to understand how to do that um, in his will. So finally, we're to give thanks in all circumstances. And again, notice Paul saying not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, right? Again, it's hard to give thanks when, when, when you're dealing with a loved one who's ill, it's hard to give thanks when your bank account might be zero or worse. It's hard to give thanks for those circumstances. So he's saying in all circumstances. In all circumstances. 
So I came across this, this quote this week, and I heard somebody say it, I think, earlier today, um, which I think is really, indic- you know, illustrates this perfectly. If you only pray <laughs> when you're in trouble, you're in trouble, right? If you're only praying when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. So this is really t- speaking to this idea that we need to be in constant prayer and consistent prayer. Um, I love, uh, I have a, a resource I, I, at my office. It's, it's the Holman Illustrated Bible Handbook. And it's just kind of a two to three page summary and overview of, of every book in the Bible. And I love their one sentence summary that they put together for this, this epistle. And it says this, whatever difficulties and sufferings believers experience in life, the coming of Christ is the true hope of the Christian. That's his one line summary of this book, right? And that's where we find our hope. We saw that just a few weeks ago. And that's really the thesis, if you will, to this letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. This was his purpose in writing this. Our hope is in the return of Jesus. And when I, you know, we get to verses 19 to 21, and I think the, um, I think what we see here is I would call them kind of attitudes of a Christian, right? And some activities or attitudes that we see of a Christian here in, in these verses. And what he says here is, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, and then detest everything. So the word quench is an interesting word, one that we probably don't use very often. Um, essentially, it means to extinguish, right? It, it speaks to you know extinguishing or putting out like a fire, for example. And the, the usage of this word is kind of interesting because uh, back in Acts chapter 2 during the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is almost described as a flame and, and fire, right? So uh, I think Paul's using a kind of a play on words here. He's saying, don't put this flame out. Don't put this fire out that is the Holy Spirit. But what he's really speaking to here is don't prevent the Holy Spirit from doing his work. Right? Don't prevent the Holy Spirit from doing His work. And this is really an encouragement to all Christians to follow their gifts, follow their calling, follow, you know, using those talents and skills and abilities that the Lord gives us um, to serve Him, to serve others for the advancement of the kingdom. And, and, and while these may not seem to be related in this whole section, you know, if I, I put these together and really in my studies... I was I concluded that 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 these really are related and they do contextually belong to be together, and um, and what I want to do here is is spend just a couple minutes to get uh, camping on on this idea of of prophecies, right? So it says in verse twenty, do not test or despise prophecies, and in the the modern Christian church uses and, and interprets that word differently than it's really possibly intended to in certain areas. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of uh, talk a little bit about this word. That word literally means to declare the will of God. When you look it up in a lexicon, that's the literal translation of that, to declare the will of God. And, and that is really present tense or future tense, right? So it could be applicable for an actual forth-telling prophet, um, but it really just means those who are declaring the will of God. And I think that's important here. And, and because I, I'm not as academically sound as others, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a, 
a quote here from a gentleman named Ray Stedman, and he talks about it here, and he says it much better than I do. And what he says here is that, that Paul, in essence, is saying this, do not ignore the Scripture's wisdom. Do not despise prophesying. And then he goes on to say, unfortunately, because certain cultic tendencies in our day, we think of prophesying as a special power to predict the future, either for ourselves individually or for the world at large. But prophesying was not that. And Dr. F.F. Bruce says this about it. He says that prophesying is declaring the mind of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's really what he's talking about here. And he goes on to say that prophesying really becomes what we call today expository preaching and teaching. Right? So he's saying don't despise the word of God being delivered to you. Don't despise that. That's what he's really talking about here. And he's saying that, you know, and I I honestly believe there's no coincidence that the opening section and the opening verse of this section was what? Don't despise those who who oversee and who, 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 who rule, right? He's talking about those preachers and those individuals who deliver the word of God. So he's saying don't do that. Don't despise the word of God. But there was a little asterisk next to it, wasn't there? That next little verse there, that next section says what? Test everything. So don't just believe everything that I'm saying. If there's something that you're like, huh, that doesn't sound right, my, my desire for you is to go back and take a look at it in Scriptures. Does what Ryan said align with the Scriptures? Does what Pastor Pat say, is it aligned with the Scriptures? That's really what they're talking about here. And, and that's only possible with these characteristics of the church if you are maturing as a Christian, right? If you're maturing in your understanding of the Word of God, and that's really how it's possible. I recall when we were church, uh, church shopping, if you will, you know, over 10 years ago. I can recall going into certain churches and, and sitting there and not even opening up or referencing the Bible. And, and that was my first and only visit to that church, right? If I don't hear the Word of God preached during a sermon, then that's definitely not what I want to put my family in. So we see that verses 16 to 21 are these characteristics of the word and characteristics of the church. And, and Paul's argument here is that, the, the, that no, no Christian is to forget or forsake these things while waiting on the Lord's return. And he contends that we should do this more, right? When we get to verse 22, he adds, abstain from every form of evil, right? In other words, be holy, be Christ-like. Okay? Now, this command was to the Thessalonians, and, and, and that was his encouraging word to them. Don't do this. So, in other words, while you're waiting for Christ, be like Christ. <laughs> right? While you're waiting for Christ, be like Christ. That's really what he's saying there. And then we get to, to verses 23 and 24, and, and, and these are familiar verses because this has been our benediction for the past several weeks. So let's go ahead and read it again, just to, since we haven't camped there in a few moments. Um, so verse 23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Ah, that is incredible, isn't it? We're, we see that the, the Christian life is only possible in God right? He's doing the work. It's his will. He's the one doing the work, and I I think that's incredible. So we're reminded that God is faithful, 
And one of my favorite things to thank God for is I'm, I'm so grateful he's more faithful than I am, right? And he's more faithful than we can ever be. And I think these verses are pretty fascinating. And that word sanctify is one of those, you know, Christianese type words that, that are used as, as well. And, and I would say that it's, a, it's very related to the word holy. You know, they almost have a, a same meaning in a sense. Um, and I saw this definition, I think it's from the, 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 I forget where it's from, but I saw this definition, I'll read it for you here. It's the process of God's grace by which the believer is separated from sin and becomes dedicated to God's righteousness. And this is accomplished through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Right, I'm going to read that again. It's the process of God's grace by which the believer is separated from sin and becomes dedicated to God's righteousness. That's kind of the idea. So let, we can put it another way. It's, it's, it's being set apart, right? It's becoming set apart. It's the process of being made holy, right? It's the growth that the Christian sees in their lives. And what we see here is that God, the Lord, is, is working in the lives of his saints. He's working in our lives right now. He's sanctifying us right now, right? He's working in our lives right now. And, and we see in that, that those verses, to the point of completion, right? So he's going to continue working through us until it's done, right? He's not going to stop. He's not going to give up. And Paul, Paul talks about this as, as being of our entire being, right? A, handful, a few weeks back, we saw this idea of the body, soul, and spirit, right? And we see that again here. It's, it's our entire being. And what he's doing is he's, he's making us blameless as we are preparing for the return of Jesus, right? From a scriptural perspective, here's an illustration. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5 when, when Paul talks about the relationship of man and wife, and in verse uh, 25 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see that? He's talking about that. Later, he reveals that this mystery is that marriage is a picture of, of Jesus and the church. And the husband is to, a very difficult job, and the husband is to, to present their wives as blameless and holy. Right? You know, and that's what we see here as well, that idea of sanctification of the church. So what I want to do is, you know, and, and, and again, right, kind of bringing us back to that main idea, what he's doing, and he's, he's building this in our lives today, preparing us for tomorrow for Christ's return. So what I want to do to, to kind of close our time this morning is what can we do in the light of God's imminent return? What can we do in the light of God's imminent return? And um, I thought I would get somewhat creative, at least in my brain, and, and try to wrap and, and pull principles for the entire letter um, to kind of help build these three points. So I'm going to do that here as best I could. First thing we're going to do is, is believe that he is coming back, right? Ah, that's critical. That's essential. We have to believe that he's coming back, all right? 
So we see this back in, in chapter 4, and we actually see it at the beginning of chapter 5 as well. But in chapter 4, he says, don't worry, he is coming back. And don't worry that those who had fallen asleep, we looked at that word asleep a few weeks back, those who have fallen asleep, they will be gathered, gathered together with Christ. And don't worry, those who are awake will also be gathered with Christ. Right? So it's essential that we believe that he's returning. And we're going to not only believe these things, but we're all supposed to live these things. We're supposed to live them out. And then the next thing we see here is that we're to be obedient. To be obedient. Obedience really is an evidence of our faith. And we see this all throughout the epistle. In chapter 1, we see that he commended them from turning from idols. Chapter 2, we see that he commended them for receiving the word of God. Chapter 2, Three, Timothy reports of what he, he witnessed in their faith. And he called it a strong faith, if you remember. And in chapter 4, he commends them for walking in a manner that was pleasing to God. Right? And then again, at the beginning of this chapter, he says, you know this. Right? So don't, don't worry, because again, that, that real question is not when, but what I should be doing while I wait. And then finally we see this, we need to share Jesus with others. And, you know, the, the, the verse 27 of this section really talks through about that, doesn't it? He says, I'm going to put you under oath, church, to read this to your brothers. Right? He says, I am telling the Lord that this is what you're going to do. So now you all got to do it, <laughs> right? But it really, if we look at that from a large perspective, he, he's telling them that you need to share this with others, right? And that's really what we ought to be doing as well. It's a letter, this letter with that verse alone is, is stating this is meant to be shared. This is meant to be read. This is meant to be done. So we see that it's essential that we remain active in our faith and in our walks. And we also see that um, we are to gladly wait for his return while doing these things and he's saying this so we're not discouraged he's saying this because he doesn't want us to be discouraged he doesn't want us to be bored right so we need to make sure that we're staying active you know because if i didn't have you know the nintendo switch or the music or the book on my road trip i might get bored right so i need to make sure i'm being active and i need to make sure i'm i'm doing that uh, more efficiently so today what we saw is that the living for the Lord today in our world now is preparing us for living with the Lord tomorrow. So my question to you is, where are you lacking? Is, it a, is there a persistent sin in your life that's preventing you from living in this way? Is, are you at war with those who you may not always agree with? I'm sure none of us are dealing with that. Are you struggling with joy because life around you is, is sometimes just hard and it's not very good? Maybe you're lacking a lifestyle of, of prayer and of joy. So where are you lacking? It's my challenge you to this week. Understand that. Where are you lacking? So I would argue here that Paul is contending that you don't have to struggle with these things. If you're in Christ, Christ is the fulfillment of these things. So if you're in Christ, you don't have to worry about these things. That's what Paul is saying. 
And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Let's pray. Father God, um, this is an encouraging book, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful, God, that you have brought this to us and allowed us to share with, with others. Pray, God, that we, we pull these principles that you have uh, shared with us and, and uh, given us, and we apply it to our lives each day, that we, um, we share you with others, Father, that we live a life full of joy, that we're living a life that, um, where we're busy, not be, uh, to fill time, God, but to, uh, to anxiously await for your return and to, to do the work that you have, you have asked us to do. That is our desire, Father, that um, we eliminate those distracting things that, that make us wonder and make us have doubt but instead we can focus wholly on you, Father. Help us to do that as we leave here today. Help us to do that as we we go about our lives. And uh, we pray that, Lord, in, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So next,